money, markets, investments. That's it. Get ready for insights, opinions, and discussions you will not hear at your local bank, on mainstream business television, or from ivory tower advisors. My name is Adrian Harasimiu, and I am the Recovering Bankster. Hello and welcome back to the Recovering Bankster podcast, with episode 8 locked and loaded deep within the prairie land of Canada. I'm your host, who doesn't like to boast, Adrian Harasimiu, standing with you on the edge of the money, markets, and investments abyss. If you're one of my returning financial thrill seekers, I'm so happy you're back for more. It just goes to show there's a hunger gap to be filled for the unconventional and unique angles to current money news. For those of you jumping in for the first time, thank you for taking a chance and checking out The Recovering Bankster. This isn't traditional corporate mainstream financial media. Instead, it's about circumventing the financial industrial complex to shine light upon financial decay that has a direct effect on your financial well-being. Lofty aspirations, I know, but I trust you will have a listen to the entire episode before moving along. You never know what might hit a nerve and inspire you to take a different perspective. If after this episode you're hankering for more, there are seven previous episodes to listen to, with more on the docket for each forthcoming week for as long as I'm capable and enjoying the process, of course. Remember, you can save yourself future headaches of trying to find this podcast by just pressing that subscribe button right now. And if you're stalking me on YouTube, make life easier by hitting the bell button too. That way you'll get notified when a nice shot of my beautiful facade appears on the airwaves. And now, without much more fanfare, grab your beverage, find a seat, and buckle up. I'm about to smash my way into episode 8. The appetizer for today's episodic meal rips a page out of the I can't believe I'm seeing this playbook. The appetizer takes us south of the 49th parallel, where it was reported this past week of May 4th, 2020, that the US of A shed 20.5 million jobs in April alone, pumping up the unemployment rate to 14.7%. Sometimes I'm a visual person, so if you are as well, Imagine 1,000 people capable and wanting work. And then, of those, 147 are not working right now. This does not include people not working and not searching for work, for whatever reason. If you lost your job and decided you were just too depressed to look for work, you would not be counted in the unemployment rate. So if you think 14.7% is bad, Adding all those people capable of working, but not working and not searching, blows the rate up even higher. Speaking of the labor participation rate, that dropped to 60.7%. In other words, of 1,000 people able to work, only 607 wish to do so. The news just keeps getting better and better, doesn't it? In any case... This statistic of 14.7% shattered the post-World War II record of 10.8%. In fact, even at its peak, the unemployment rate during the Great Financial Recession of 2007-2009 to topped out at 10% in October of 2009. What about the Great Depression, you ask? Turns out the estimated high was about 24.9%. 
Now, according to one Chris Zaccarelli, CIO at Independent Advisor Alliance, quote, Unfortunately, the magnitude of job losses is something that cannot be contained, and total jobs lost, and potentially the unemployment rate, are likely to meet or exceed the infamous statistics from the Great Depression, end quote. And then there's Chris Rupke, Chief Financial Economist at MUFG Union Bank, with this ray of sunshine hope about the depressing numbers. Quote, Pretty dismal picture, but April may be it for job losses going forward, with the country starting to reopen. If there is a silver lining in today's dismal jobs report, it is in the realization that the economy cannot possibly get any worse than it is right now. End quote. Wow, that's quite the claim. It seems President Trump's Flair for the dramatic proclamations is rubbing off on Wall Street. Some numbers to give one pause, to say the least. Or so you would assume. Simple logic would assume that such downer news would have a downer effect on the stock market. Alas, upon checking and verifying it's not a typo, you'd see that the opposite was actually true. That's right, my friends. The U.S. markets were up on the news. Somehow, smashing decades-old record is positive news. And it wasn't just an eking out of positive returns. The S&P was up 1.69%, NASDAQ at 1.58%, and the Dow up at 1.91% on the news. I've said many times before that I'm not here to be a downer Dennis. I don't revel in seeing markets drop, in people suffering. But how on earth does this make any sense? Do markets still seem rational to you when they rally on news of human despair? There's being optimistic, and then there's being smoking too much ganja optimistic. Perhaps the wolf of Wall Street has blossomed into a full-on raging bud of Wall Street. But it's okay, folks. It's just your money and financial future that's up in smoke. Well, if we clear away the appetizer and move along to the main course of this raging Recovering Bankster podcast, some light may be shone on this seeming nonsense. In weeks gone by, as the central banksters in Canada and the Fedsters in the U.S. slowly began to admit their schemes to buy up certain corporate bonds, it turns out their Swiss and Japanese brethren have been much more active and transparent. And to boot... They don't seem to give two flying fajitas what people think. This out of Zero Hedge on May 9, 2020, reporting on the Swiss National Bank. Quote, The hedge fund that is not only publicly traded, but also moonlights as the Swiss Central Bank, which allows it to print money and effectively purchase any security it wishes with zero cost bases, suffered its biggest loss in history reporting a loss of $32.7 billion on its massive equity portfolio, end quote. You heard that correctly. The central bank in Switzerland is an active purchaser of businesses across the world. As a side note, I absolutely love how the piece refers to the central bank as a hedge fund. Classic. Now, how much does this central bank own? Well, in its U.S. holdings alone, it grew from $26.7 billion in December of 2014 
to $97.5 billion just five years later in December of 2019. That's an increase of more than three times. Okay, okay, but it actually gets better, and it starts to tie in more to our appetizer for the day. While markets were getting decimated in March, the Swiss National Bank was one of the vacuums sucking up the sales on the other end, adding on average of more than 20% to its top U.S. positions. Their primary targets? Why, only the Facebooks, the Amazons, the Apples, the Microsofts, and the Googles of the world, that's all. When all was said and done at the end of March, the Swiss National Bank's current holdings in just those five stocks are reported as follows. Facebook, $1.6 billion. Amazon, $3.2 billion. Apple, $4.4 billion. Microsoft, $4.5 billion. Alphabet's Google, $2.7 billion, all totaling $16.4 billion in their portfolio. So many billions, and just in their U.S. holdings. How, oh how, can any institution afford to make such investments? Do you hear that? That's right. It's someone typing on a keyboard, creating money out of thin air. As I've alluded to in previous episodes, they don't even really need a physical printing press anymore to create the money. It's all digital now. A few keystrokes and poof, more money to inject into the investment markets. I recently referenced and questioned the independence of central banks from their respective governments. Why? Because if central banks are, in fact, in bed with governments, there's a roundabout economic transformation happening right in front of our eyes without anyone really blinking and taking notice. Let's briefly hash this out together. The central banks that are not hiding the fact that they are buying assets say they are doing so in an effort to prop up the system and make sure no one is financially harmed. That, in and of itself, is a comedic proposition, but I'll leave that behind for another day of exploration. Back to our joint stroll and let's take a look at some facts. Number one, central banks are actively buying some or all sorts of investments. Number two, central bank independence from governments is weak at best, non-existent at worst. Number three, one of the tenets of socialism is the means of production and distribution of goods and services being owned and operated by government. Ergo, connecting the dots, central banks buy stocks of companies, building up positions and voting power at said companies. Due to lack of true independence, governments exercise influence on said companies through the ownership stakes of the central banks. Before you know it, without one drop of human blood directly being spilled, a socialist revolution has taken a stranglehold of the economy, with its boot firmly compressing on capitalism's spasming throat. All the while, Main Street scratching its collective head, wondering what happened to all of their investments in the market. Okay, so that's somewhat gruesome, and perhaps a fantastic picture to paint. But you can't tell me it hasn't left you thinking. At the very least, we should be wondering how and why central banks are truly getting involved in capitalist investment markets 
which are meant to be a form of exchange and price discovery conducted by millions upon millions of individuals, not governments nor their agents. It also provides potential light to explaining how the investment markets are climbing on such negative news as the extraordinary loss of employment discussed during our appetizer segment today. With limitless pits of cash at their disposal, at least for now, central banks can flood the markets with fake demand to ensure the appearance of a strong market, no matter the gravity of the news being released. The concept of value is being slowly eroded and replaced with the concept of central bank demand. That is not capitalism. Now, no outstanding meal would be great without an exceptional dessert. So this audiovisual money, markets, and investments meal will be no different. Clear away the main course plates and enter the dessert. For this installment, I hope you'll humor me for a few minutes as I regale you with what I thought are ridiculously funny numbers. I receive regular emails from a newsletter I subscribe to called Bill Bonner's Diaries. In his April 27th installment, he included some research done by one of his readers about the $2.2 trillion CARES Act out of the U.S. Congress. Note, I have not verified these numbers myself, but I find no reason to believe these to be unreasonable, nor fake, as I believe in the integrity of the source. But take it in any way you wish. At the very least, enjoy the dessert. Okay, so the stimulus bill equals $2.2 trillion for an American population of 330,483,530, which could equate to just over $6,600 for every citizen of the U.S. Instead, only $1,200 has been sent out. So, where has a lot of the extra money gone? And note, the readers who submitted these numbers provided uh, some commentary as well, which I have left out as I'd like the numbers to sink in on their own, hopefully without much undue influence on you. So let's get started. $300 million for migrant and refugee assistance. $10,000 per person for student loan bailout. $100 million to Nassau. $10 billion to the U.S. Postal Service, $75 million to the Endowment for the Arts, $75 million for the Endowment for the Humanities, $17.2 billion for the Veterans Health Administration, $30 billion for the Department of Education Stabilization Fund, $200 million to Safe Schools Emergency Response to Violence Program. $300 million to public broadcasting. $500 million to museums and libraries. Sorry, I needed some water there because the list is just so massive. So let's continue. $330 million to the Social Security Administration, mostly for administration costs, not to help people. $25 million for cleaning supplies for the Capitol building. $7.5 million to the Smithsonian. $25 million to the John F. Kennedy Center for Performing Arts. $25 million for necessary expenses for the House of Representatives. 
$2.15 billion upgrade to the IT department at the Department of Veteran Affairs. $324 million for State Department diplomatic programs. $363 million for the Agency for International Development. $258 million for International Disaster Assistance. $90 million for the Peace Corps. $4 million to Howard University. $100 million to Essential Air Carriers. And for the last but best bite of dessert, $9 million miscellaneous Senate expenses. Yes, indeedy, all of that is in the name of the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security, or CARES Act. Nothing I can say at this point will make the dessert much more enjoyable, so I will let these numbers percolate in your mind. You can see the entire commentary provided by the compiler through the link below if you're on YouTube, or at www.recoveringbankster if you're listening to the audio version. And now, before I overstay my culinary welcome, it's time to put the dishes away and let the digestion set in for another seven days, when it will be time for the next recovery chapter. By now, you're wondering how others can partake in this feast of information and entertainment. Let's grow the banquet hall to capacity. All you need to do is select one lucky person this week, just one person, and send them a text, email, or even a pigeon with the following phrase, www.recoveringbankster.com. Yes, it's that simple. That's it. You can also find more information about me and my endeavors at www.adrianinvest.ca. That's shareable too, of course. As you head for the door by way of the close button on your browser or stop button on your smartphone player, be sure to take a second to compress your finger or mouse pointer on the subscribe button first to find your way back to this feast with finer precision next time. And with those words still ringing in your ears, my friends, stay safe, keep your integrity, and see you at the pinnacle. And now for the obvious but necessary disclaimer and reminder. This podcast is for informational purposes only and shall not be construed to constitute any form of investment advice. The views expressed are those of the host and or guest where applicable. Adrian Harasimu is a registered investment advisor with Aligned Capital Partners, Inc., ACPI, and the opinions expressed may not necessarily be those of ACPI. Adrian Harasimu also provides financial planning and insurance services and products through Atlas Galahad Eurocorp or Age. As such, depending on the product offered, Adrian may be representing different entities. Adrian will disclose the entity being represented. Information has been compiled from publicly available sources believed to be reliable, and all opinions expressed are as of the date of this podcast episode and subject to change without notice. The information is prepared for general circulation and has been prepared without regard to the individual financial circumstances and objectives of persons who receive it. You should not act or rely on the information without seeking the advice of the appropriate professional. The information contained does not constitute an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any security, investment fund, product or service. 
content may not be reproduced without the expressed written consent of Adrian Harsini. Thank you for listening to today's episode.